0: It's pretty rare you visit a place and they say, thanks for coming, don't come back here next week. But this is one of those rare occasions because we are switching locations beginning next Sunday on Easter Sunday, so this is our final Sunday morning uh here in this building, uh but we're excited about the new adventure the Lord has for us. If you're visiting us for the first time, see Lily at the back table, wave to us Lily, and uh, she'll get a gift to you. It's our way of saying thank you for visiting Impact today. Uh, you can fill out that connect card also if you are uh in need of prayer for anything. That's one of our priorities on Monday night at our prayer meeting. Uh we're praying together. And so beginning tomorrow night, we're actually going to combine our prayer meetings, 6.30. Uh, If you want an in-person prayer meeting, it'll be right here, 6.30 tomorrow night. And we'll also go through the Zoom app. If you want to join us from wherever you are through Zoom, you can do that beginning tomorrow night at 6.30. Up till now, it's been 6 o'clock for Zoom. Now it's going to be together at 6.30 in person uh, and through Zoom. Uh, so, uh, youth nights coming up tonight. Junior hires, high schoolers, and college students come over to my place tonight. We've got some chili dog, chili dogs tonight. We've got some frappuccinos. We're going to be making. Have a fun game. We've got Braden. Wave to us, Braden. Braden's going to be sharing the message tonight, so we're excited about that. If I understand right, message on faith. All right, strengthen our faith. Thank you, Braden. And uh, we're praying for Vincent Vincent's not feeling well today, but uh, man It's awesome when he comes and leads worship, so we're hoping he'll be feeling better tonight And so uh, come over to my house five o'clock tonight goes five to seven thirty once again junior high through college doesn't cost a dime uh, We cover that as a church the cost of that And so I uh, hope you can join us if you need directions, See any of my family here in the second row or see me after the service and we'll get you the address and information on how to get there uh, Easter at impact There's a few housekeeping things we need to take care of because it is next Week, he is risen. Oh, you're not ready for this, are you? He is risen. Well, yay's good too, but normally we say he is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen. All right, so it is Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday next week, and we'll get up this next slide. If you have not put it in your phone or written it down on a piece of paper, here is the new address and the service times. All of you should be packing in your back pocket or ladies in your purse. You should have these cards on hand. Join us this Easter. So when you forget the address, it's right on there. And so uh, make sure that you've got those invitations handy. We also, in the back of the room, uh, have some yard signs. So especially if you live in Apple Valley, if you'd like to help us spread the word, there's a yard sign. It's not just for Easter. It lets everybody know the new service times, 9 and 11, beginning on Easter, but really any Sunday they want to come, even has the address on there. And so those of you who like to spread the word in your neighborhood by having a yard sign, we do have them in back and uh, we'd be happy to send you home with one if you'd like one today. We've also got the invitation cards in back there. And so if you need more, uh, we'd love for you to invite the neighborhood. We even have a few how to invite your neighbor in five easy steps uh, slips back there. And so this is the week. It's crunch time, seven days and counting. We're spreading the word about our new launch. Uh, coming up also uh, at the end of our service today, we've got a lot of work to do. So we've got our media and sound team. It's probably going to be over at the Apple Valley building all afternoon, likely into the evening because they've got to run the snake for the sound. They've got to get everything set up for uh, our live stream service that will begin next week up to this time. We've just been pre-recording my Sunday messages and our worship. We do that on Thursday. And then we have some time to prepare it and get it launched on Sunday morning for our online community. But we get to start live streaming next week. We're excited about that because it'll be a much more realistic experience in the service because they'll see what's going on live. Amen. And so some of you are wondering, so are you going to like show shots of me worshiping? No, the cameras are behind. It might catch the top of your heads, uh, but that's mainly for what's going on, on the stage. So if you've got any privacy issues, don't worry. We're not going to be putting your face on mug shots and uh, sending it across the World Wide Web. And so it's going to be a great Sunday. Uh, we are going to uh, be doing some, some great ministry next week. Uh, the week after, this is kind of a nice little strobe light effect. And so... Uh, If if you hadn't heard this yet, we're also doing something special our second week at the school, two weeks from today on April, what is that, the 16th. Uh, we're going to have a family fun day. And so we've got the Kona ice truck coming out uh, to the building there in Apple Valley. So after both services, after the 9 o'clock and after the 11, we'll have Kona ices out there. we pre-bought a bunch of uh, free Kona ices. We'll be giving away next week. And so we're looking forward to having a family fun day. Uh, next week is Easter. So we expect a huge attendance. And so we're not doing a ton of publicity online. Uh, we're kind of waiting to the second week. And so uh, we're excited to do that family day that week after Easter. So those friends and family you bring next week for Easter, uh, we're hoping to bring them back the week after as well. We want to establish some godly habits to go into church each week. Amen? Amen? Amen. Okay, and then finally, if you're a regular supporter of Impact, thank you for your tithes and offerings that you give. When we did those surveys last month, a lot of you said you wanted to increase your giving to help with the extra expenses with this move. And so I want to thank you, all of you who who said you wanted to step up your giving just a little bit. That's really helpful for us. Uh, We had some unexpected expenses with this launch even this past week. And so we're looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of about $10,000 is what it costs us to be able to do good ministry in that setting and be able to launch this live stream service for our online community. And so it's somewhere around $10,000. So as we increase our giving, that is very, very helpful to help us make a greater impact in the Victor Valley. You can put something in the offering box. You could always give online at our website or text any dollar amount to 84321. However you choose to give, thank you for your faithful tithes and offerings. Amen? All right, with that, we've got Bibles in back. These guys are going to be coming down the rows. If you don't have your Bible with you today, just raise your hand. We want to give you one uh, to be able to flip open to the passage and see it for yourself today. Uh, The rest of you who brought your Bibles, I need you to open to Matthew chapter... 21 Matthew chapter 21 And if you didn't get message notes on the way in I encourage you to have those in hand as well with a pen or pencil And uh, we've got a few of our impact kids in the room with us today. They're hanging out with us our elementary kids So those of you who are in first through sixth grade. Thanks for joining us for our main service today guys All right today. We're going to be talking about Palm Sunday sound like a plan uh, Well, all three of you. Thank you. Thank you We're going to be talking about Palm Sunday. Sound like a plan? Okay, awesome. Today is the day that we celebrate Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Just five days before he died on the cross. Just seven days before he conquered death on Easter morning. Uh, Years ago, there was a, a small town in the Midwest that Easter was approaching and they wanted everything to be just right for their church families, but they had a problem all three of these churches in this particular town had a squirrel infestation. These squirrels were running amuck in the church building. They were chewing holes in the pew upholstery. They were dragging stuff across the floor. They were swimming in the baptistry and pooping all over the place. And so these churches had their leadership teams get together and figure out what to do. First there was the Episcopal church. And they got together and decided what to do. And You know, they prayed about it, and they said, you know what? Uh, We believe that God has predestined these squirrels to be here. So it's God's divine will that we leave them alone. They did nothing. Next, there was the Baptist church. The Baptist church was particularly upset that those squirrels were swimming in the baptistry. So they decided to fight fire with fire. They decided to drown the squirrels in the baptistry. But the Baptist plan backfired because once all those squirrels were baptized, they came back the next week with all their friends. (laughs) And next up was the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church really had the only solution that worked. The Catholic Church got together and they decided, here's what we're going to do. We're going to offer free confirmation classes to all the squirrels. And so all the squirrels went through their confirmation classes, and they graduated. They had confirmation all taken care of, and now the squirrels just come back to the Catholic Church on Palm Sunday, Easter, and Christmas. That took a few seconds for a few of you. I'm so glad that most of you don't just show up to church on Christmas, Easter, and Palm Sunday. Well, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem is recorded in all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and this morning our home base will be Matthew's account in Matthew 21, but I'll also share with you a few of the extra details from Luke and John that I think are pretty important. Well, as we pick up in Matthew 21 here, Jesus and his 12 apostles have been traveling uh, back and forth throughout Galilee and into Judea and into Jerusalem over the past three years. They've been uh, traveling back and forth for these three years of Jesus's ministry. And here they are coming to Jerusalem at the time of Passover. The Passover was one of the most important holidays of the year for Jews. It was the day when Jews remembered how the death angel had passed over the Jewish encampment there in Goshen, just outside of uh, the main part of Egypt. And they remembered how on that final night of slavery in Egypt, that death angel had spared their lives. As long as they had the blood on the doorposts of their, their homes, the death angel passed over. And so God didn't want any of the Jewish people for generations to come to forget this great night when he spared the lives of the firstborn among the Israelites And so every year they celebrated Passover so they would not forget the mercy of God. Well, God delivered his people. They celebrated Passover year after year after year. And that's where we pick up in Matthew 21, beginning in verse 1, as Jesus and his apostles are making their way into Jerusalem for Passover week. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Well, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, and they asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. May God bless us as we study and apply his word to our lives today. Well, for the past three years, Jesus had traveled back and forth throughout Israel, urging people to repent of their sins, letting them know that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. He was spreading the good news. Along the way, Jesus had driven out demons. He had healed the sick. He had opened the eyes of the blind. In at least three occasions, Jesus had even raised the dead. But for the most part, Jesus kept a low profile, right? He wasn't renting out stadiums and saying, Hey, everybody, gather together in crowds of tens of thousands. He didn't rent out stadiums. He didn't make a big spectacle of his miracles. He had this low profile during most of his ministry. When he preached to large groups, he he usually did it in remote locations. When he healed someone, he usually did it privately and asked them not to blab about it to others. So when you think about it, Palm Sunday marks a major shift in Jesus' ministry. After three years of working hard not to make a scene, Jesus enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and makes a big old scene, right? He makes a big scene. In the past, when Jesus had visited Jerusalem, he made sure not to enter with any fanfare. Here he enters with a whole bunch of fanfare. Interesting. Warren Wearsby says it this way. Since it was Passover, there were probably about 2 million people in and around Jerusalem. This was the only time in his ministry that Jesus actually planned and promoted a public demonstration. Up to this time... He had cautioned people not to tell who he was, and he had deliberately avoided public scenes. So so that begs the question, if Jesus had worked so hard over the past three years to not make a spectacle, to not make a big scene, why does he change his strategy here? Why does he do it here? Well, let me suggest a couple possible reasons. Reason number one, Jesus did it to fulfill Old Testament prophecy, especially Zechariah 9 verse 9. Zechariah 9, 9 says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, we usually don't associate donkeys with royalty, but it actually was in Israel a royal animal of choice. You go back to the Old Testament, and yeah, oftentimes the king would like to ride a stallion or something beefier when he went out to battle, but when they weren't at war, Jewish kings oftentimes chose to ride on a donkey. And so that's why, if you look at 1 Kings, when Solomon is christened or anointed as king of Israel by his father, King David, King David specifically commands his servants to place Solomon on his own donkey. And so as he was paraded through the streets of Jerusalem, when the people of Jerusalem saw Solomon riding on the king's donkey, they would know he was the man. He had been handpicked by King David to be the new king. And so we oftentimes talk about Jesus being meek and mild. That's even reinforced in this scripture here. Yes, the donkey is a meek and mild animal compared to a war stallion. But it is very much... A kingly animal. And so Jesus seems to be making a clear statement here. Not only that I'm going to fulfill scripture, but that I'm coming as a king as he rides that little donkey. Well, there's at least one more reason why Jesus had some fanfare on this day. Reason number two, Jesus rode a donkey into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday in order to force the Jewish leaders to act. Okay, I want this to sink in. Read this with me. Jesus rode a donkey into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday in order to force the Jewish leaders to act. For quite some time, the Jewish religious leaders had wanted to kill Jesus, right? They'd wanted to, even in his hometown of Nazareth. They had tried to push him off a cliff a year or two earlier. They had tried to kill Jesus, but the timing hadn't been right. Well, Jesus knew that the week of Passover was the perfect week to die on the cross for the sins of the world. I want you to look at this picture on the screen and note the parallels here. Passover, the night the death angel passed over Goshen, where the Israelites lived, and the firstborn of the Israelites was not killed if they had the blood of the sacrificial lamb spread on the doorposts of their home. And you connect the dots of that blood, and what shape does it make? It makes the shape of the cross, doesn't it? It was a foreshadowing, a type of Jesus' death on the cross. And you start thinking about some of the symbolism, the death angel there that passed over Goshen. The death angel is symbolic of what? Hell. Hell is going to grab anyone who's not purchased by the blood of the Lamb, right? Just as death in Goshen took the lives of those who did not have the blood, hell will grab the lives of those who do not have the blood of Jesus Christ. And so the lamb that is sacrificed who gave his blood so that they could put it on the doorpost is symbolic representing Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so there's this beautiful foreshadowing taking place. And what better time than Passover week for Jesus to fulfill all of the scripture that was wrapped up in the Passover celebration that they celebrated year after year after year. If Warren Wiersbe is correct, there were around 2 million people in and around Jerusalem for Passover, which means that as Jesus crested the Mount of Olives and descended into Jerusalem riding that little donkey, I think it's safe to say there were thousands of people lining the streets because this was one crowded city for the week of Passover. And so there in that crowd celebrating Jesus, waving the palm branches, putting them on the ground with their cloaks, there were certainly at least three groups there. There were those that were traveling to uh, the Passover celebration in Jerusalem from Jesus' home region of Galilee. There were likely some in the crowd waving palm branches that day who had been there on the mountainside when Jesus had preached the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached in the history of the world. There were likely some in the crowd that day who had been in the crowd when Jesus had fed the 5,000 with just five loaves of bread and two little fish. Some from Galilee were there cheering for Jesus, but that wasn't the only group in the crowd waving the branches. There were also those who had been there a few weeks earlier when Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. That was just a few miles outside of Jerusalem in the city of Bethany. And so there in Bethany, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And remember, he'd been in the tomb for four days and he yells, Lazarus, come out. And many people have pointed out the reason he called him by name is if he had simply said, come out, all the dead people would have come out of the graves because Jesus has all authority. He is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. So he calls Lazarus force, and Lazarus comes out of the tomb, and a lot of people were there, and their eyes were popping, and their jaws were dropping, they couldn't believe it. Some of them were probably there on Palm Sunday with those branches in hand. And they had spread the word. They didn't keep it to themselves. They were letting everybody know what Jesus had done with Lazarus. And so some were in the crowd that day with the branches who had either heard of what Jesus had done with Lazarus or had seen it with their own eyes. And then there was a third group, those who lived in Jerusalem who had heard all the buzz about Jesus, the miracle man from Galilee, the miracle man from Nazareth, and they were curious and wanted to see him for themselves. So these three groups converge together with their cloaks and with their branches, and they celebrate Jesus, and they shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, what does Hosanna mean? It means save us now. That's what Hosanna means. Hosanna means save us now. They were yelling, Save us now. Hosanna to the Son of David. Son of David was a kingly title, wasn't it? They were saying, You're in the line of David. You're going to be king. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. As the crowds were shouting, they were actually shouting scripture. They were pulling that from Psalm 118, verses 25 through 27. Read this with me. O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God and he has made his light shine upon us with bows in hand. Join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. Now keep that in mind, up to the horns of the altar. That means to the very center of the temple. The very center of the temple complex, the horns of the altar. So what did the crowd really want? Well, we can piece together the details, I think, to find out. They see Jesus riding on an animal that is associated with Jewish royalty. Uh, They place palm branches, a symbol of victory, by the way. That's what palm branches symbolize, victory and joy. They, They place them in front of Jesus. They call Jesus the son of King David. And they quote Psalm 118, 25 through 27, a psalm of victory. So what did the crowd really want that day? What did they want? I think they wanted Jesus to ride on that little donkey all the way into the temple area, all the way into the courts. And I believe they wanted him to keep riding, not stop at the temple, not even to stop at the horn of the altar. I believe they wanted him to keep riding that donkey. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, some of you may remember from our study of the Apostle Paul this past year, when we got to the end of that study, Paul was arrested in the temple In Jerusalem remember he was arrested in the temple courts and we talked a little bit about this particular temple Let's put this next picture up here the temple in those days in jesus's day in paul's day This was the temple built by king herod It was really the third temple to be built in jerusalem the first one uh, King solomon had built that had been destroyed the second temple was kind of destroyed But then it was just expanded upon by this third temple and herod the great built this huge temple that dwarfed the other two temples in Jerusalem. This thing was massive. The courts surrounding the main hub of the temple uh, could hold thousands of people. And so you may remember from that study a few months ago, these outer courts outside of the main hub, those court of the Gentiles... Uh, Gentiles could gather there. You didn't have to be Jewish. But there was this little barrier you can see that surrounded this main hub of the temple building. Uh, That was a barrier that, remember, in three different languages it said, you shall not pass. If you are not Jewish, you may not cross this barrier or you're going to be killed. And so you could only go past that barrier if you were Jewish. And so the next court in was the Court of the Men, and then the court of the men and then the court of the priests, closest to the actual temple building that had the holy place and the holy of holies And so you may remember on the northwest corner of the temple mount. You can see it in the upper right hand corner It looks like a tower So if we pan back and look at this This was built by king herod as part of that third temple He wanted the jews to like him. So he built in this huge temple, but at the same time He didn't trust the jews And so Herod the Great builds into the northwest corner of the temple, onto the temple mount, this fortress, it's called the Fortress of Antonia, sometimes called the Castle of Antonia, and it could house a thousand Roman troops. And as you can imagine, because the towers towered over the walls of the temple, they could constantly look down and keep an eye on what was going on in the temple grounds. How many of you think the Jewish people just loved having someone always looking over their shoulder? They didn't like that too much. They've got one taker on that. No, they didn't like it too much, Keene. So they weren't too happy with that. So here's what I imagine the crowds are thinking. Hosanna. Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They wanted Jesus to ride his little donkey through Jerusalem, up the streets, and up the stairs into the temple, the court of the Gentiles, and past the court of the Gentiles into the temple area. Maybe hang out for a few quick moments, but keep riding all the way to the steps of the fortress of Antonia, and you ride up those steps on your little donkey, leading an army behind you, and you whoop them Romans. Whoop them. Get all those thousand Romans out of here. Kick them out of town. Lead a military rebellion, Jesus. They wanted that king on the donkey to save them from their captors. But that's not why Jesus came. It's not what Jesus did on that day, Palm Sunday. As he crested the Mount of Olives and descended into the city, he didn't have fury and revenge in his eyes. Quite the opposite. Look at what Luke tells us, a beautiful little detail that Matthew doesn't include. Luke says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, He wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Jesus knew that in less than 40 years the Roman troops would come in and level the city of Jerusalem, particularly the temple. His heart broke for what He knew was coming. And His heart broke even more knowing that those crowds had no clue who he was and what he had really come to earth to do. Instead of going to the temple and driving out the Roman soldiers on Sunday, Jesus went to the temple and drove out the Jewish money changers on Monday. That's not exactly the driving out they had in mind, was it? We find out as we piece these four accounts in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John together, Jesus rides his little donkey into town, He gets to the temple, and it says he looked around a little bit and then left. Well, that's pretty anticlimactic, isn't it? (laughs) Hosanna! Save us now! Save us now! Save us now! He dismounts his little donkey, looks around, and goes home. And then he comes back the next day with fury in his eyes, but it's for the Jewish people who are turning his father's house into a marketplace. That fury has nothing to do with the Roman soldiers stationed in the fortress next door. Pretty remarkable. Jesus didn't bring a great victory on Palm Sunday. But little did the crowds know that in just five days, Jesus would bring one of the two greatest victories in the history of the world. The victory over sin. And just seven days after Palm Sunday, He would bring the other greatest victory in the history of the world. The victory over death. Isn't that awesome? They wanted Him to bring victory but they had no idea what victory they really needed. That's a pretty productive week. The two greatest victories in the history of the world, just five days and seven days respectively removed from Palm Sunday. Behold the authority and the power and the majesty of Jesus Christ. He is awesome. Well, I'd like to share with you three life lessons that I believe God has for us today on Palm Sunday. Now, before we put that first one up, some of you I know like to skip ahead on your notes, and some of you like to guess what's in the blanks. Five bucks to anyone who correctly guessed what's in these first two blanks without having seen it ahead of time from me. I bet you didn't get this one. You ready for it? Here we go. Number one, life lesson number one. Don't be a Catholic squirrel. I bet you didn't guess that one. (laughs) Don't be a Catholic. Now, I kind of say that to be funny, but the more I thought about it, the more I realized there's a really, really good point here. There's a really good point here. We really do need to take it to heart. You and I both know that it's not just the Catholics who tend to have poor church attendance. This is not just a Catholic problem. We know the truth, don't we? We know that all of us who call ourselves Christians have a tendency to make church too much about what is convenient for me and not about what is commanded by Christ. Have you ever wondered why some of those same people who yelled, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest on Palm Sunday could turn around five days later and yell, crucify him, crucify him. In all likelihood, some of the same people were yelling both times. And we wonder, how could they do that just five days later, have such a turnaround? Well, they were fair-weather fans of Jesus. They were fair-weather fans. They were not committed followers of Jesus. They wanted Jesus to meet their needs and do what they wanted him to do. They weren't willing to bend their will to his will or change their plans to align with his plans. They imagined following Jesus would be like moving to Easy Street. Get out the Romans. It's going to be all fine and dandy from now on. I don't know of any Jewish person that has that kind of accent, but it seemed to make sense at the time. They thought it was going to be easy street following Jesus, but it's not how following Jesus turns out to be, is it? Being a follower of Jesus takes commitment and takes discipline. So ask yourself today, am I totally committed to following Jesus? And ask yourself this next one. This may hit closer to home for others of you. Am I truly disciplined in the way I follow Jesus? If there is no discipline in your Christianity, then your Christianity in all likelihood is lukewarm. Because following Christ well is hard. And if it's not hard, there's probably a lack of discipline. Am I totally committed to following Christ? Am I disciplined in the way I follow Him? 1 Timothy 4.7 in the New International Version it says, train yourself to be godly. But I love how it's translated here in the New American Standard Version. It's worded so well. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Say that with me. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Let's let it sink in one more time. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Wow! Let me ask you, and you raise your hand, it, it means you really believe this. How many of you deep down really, really want to be godly? Okay. Hopefully every hand goes up. If you're just coming to check out this Jesus thing today, I understand if your hand's not up. Any of you have already made the decision to accept Christ. Man, we should say, I want to follow him. I want to be godly. I don't want to be lukewarm. You want to be like those in Laodicea? Jesus said, I'm about to spew you out of my mouth. None of us want that, do we? We want to be godly. We want to be godly men. We want to be godly women. We want to be godly kids. We want to be godly teenagers. Discipline yourself, he says, for the purpose of godliness. Jesus didn't save you in order to make your life easier and more convenient. He saved you in order to make you holy and useful to Almighty God. Amen? So don't be a fair-weather follower of Christ. Follow Him every day in His way. Life lesson number two. Jesus calls you. To weep over our Jerusalem. Say that with me. Jesus calls you to weep over our Jerusalem. We started out this year, 2023, with a focus in the month of January, seeking and saving the lost. And you remember week after week in January, I put that list of ten steps before you. Ten steps to being a soul winner for Jesus Christ. And I urge you each week, pray every day, God make me a soul winner. Pray by name every day for your friends and your family, your coworkers, your neighbors, your fellow students who need Jesus, who need to be saved. Pray them for them by name. You're taking their names and putting them before God's throne in heaven. It's like incense eternal before Him. Take their names to Him asking that God would save them. I asked you to, to make sure that you're building relationships with those who need Christ. Build relationships, fellowship with them. I encourage you to always be packing, having these things on hand, the little gospel track, uh, little comic strips that are a great way to share the gospel. These invitations to church, have those on hand, because you never know when God's going to open up an opportunity for you to be able to share with someone, to invite them to church. So sometimes God will give you an opportunity. If you haven't prepared ahead of time, you won't be ready. So have those on hand. I encouraged you to build these relationships, to do these invitations, to learn a simple gospel presentation, to invite at least one person to church with you every week who normally, not every week, every month, who doesn't normally go to church. And so that wasn't too much to ask, just one person a month. Even if it's the same person all 12 months this year, bring someone to church with you each month. And remember, partner together with another soul winner so that two can be stronger than one in doing this together. I gave you these these charges in January. And many of you, I'm so excited, were handing out those invitations and and getting people to come to church. And I knew all along when I gave you these challenges, inviting people to this location can be hard. And at the time when we went through this, I had no idea that this thing on Easter was going to be happening, that we'd have this opportunity to move to a place that is so much easier to invite people to than inviting them to what many people consider to be a ghost town here on George Boulevard. Most people in our valley do not want to drive past a federal penitentiary surrounded by razor wire to go to church. Most people in the Victor Valley do not want to drive to the far side of Victorville to go to church. Most people in the Victor Valley do not want to drive up George Boulevard a half a mile seeing signs that say no trespassing, no trespassing, no trespassing on the way to church. We're going to a place where people are already comfortable going, so I can't wait to see what God does. But we've got to continue to seek God's will and blessing. Lord, make me a soul winner. And give me boldness to invite those who need to come to church. And I can say everything we do in our effort to be soul winners will be more effective if it's mixed with tears. One of my favorite little known psalms is Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6. I love this passage. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. Isn't that a cool psalm? It's like, yeah, that's really cool. What on earth does it mean? Here's what it means. When you take gospel seed and you mix it with heartfelt tears, it's dynamite. It's dynamite. God made it that way. When you take the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is the only way by which any man, woman, or child could ever be saved, and you pray over that gospel and you shed tears for those you know need Christ before you share Christ with them, it's dynamite. It's powerful. Your prayers for your unsaved family members and friends will be more effective when mixed with tears. Your prayers for God to make you a soul winner will be more effective when mixed with tears. Your efforts to build relationships with unbelievers and invite people to church and steer conversations to Christ will all be more effective when mixed with heartfelt tears. And what is true for you as an individual Christian is equally true for our church. Do we pray and cry and weep over our community. Is there ever a time when the news comes out and the tears start to come down your eyes as you hear about what happened last week in Nashville? Weeping over the violence in our nation. Are there times when you hear about the sexual promiscuity in our nation and you find yourself weeping? This happened this last week. I was catching a a radio broadcast on the Christian station and they said a quick blurb I think it was in Minnesota where I won't get into the gory details but basically it was a huge coming out things and gender identity thing to put before the elementary kids in town and they were bringing out the drag queen story hour and they were bringing out a speaker from the university who says she's binary and a number of other things I won't mention but when all is said and done we have to expose our kids to this so they will be more loving to their binary and... What? And and, and the tear just started to well up in my eyes. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We just had this violence last week and we need to, as Jack Hibbs, the pastor down at Calvary Chino Hills, has so wonderfully said in the past week, we need to repent as a nation. And we need to go to God in a united act of repentance and prayer and ask for His mercy and instead we decide to do drag queen story hours instead. Do we weep over our nation? Do we weep over the fact that they are like sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless? Why are we moving? We're moving because our community needs Jesus. And they don't even know it. They don't even know it. Why don't they drive out to this location? It's not that far. Because they don't know they need Jesus. So in the Great Commission, we're told to go. Because those that don't know Jesus don't know that they need to know Jesus. So that's why the impetus is on us. We have to go. I encourage you to shed some tears over those who need Christ. Shed some tears over our community. Life lesson number three. Jesus invites you to join Him in His mission to go and save our Jerusalem. Last month, we... Handed out these little surveys, as I mentioned earlier, and so many of you said, Yes, I support this move to Apple Valley, and and yes, I want to help, and yes, I want to give more to make that happen, and that's awesome. But I need to be honest with you today. Next week, we are not moving our Sunday morning services to heaven. (laughs) This building we're going to is not perfect. Far from it, it's not ideal. We're all going to have to make some adjustments. And you and I both know that when we have to make adjustments, it can be uncomfortable and unpleasant because none of us really like change, do we? There's one thing that's common about human beings black, white, young, old, male, female for the most part, we don't like change. And we're going to have to make some changes. I'm so glad that many of you are excited about the move, but some of these changes might be a little bit uncomfortable. Well, a few weeks ago, I had the chance to meet with the owner of this building in Apple Valley we're moving to. His name is Paul, great Christian brother. I hope you have a chance to meet him someday. And he was meeting with me and Kent and a few of our leaders, and we were talking over some of the details of renting this building we're going to. And he was talking about God's House, the church that's been meeting there over the past two years. They started out in that building two years ago, a couple dozen people. Now they're over 300. And he was talking about that church. There were times they were in a tent in the parking lot before the building was able to have services inside. And they moved inside at a great launch. And then the fire department says, yeah, you need sprinklers. And so they were back out of the building so they could put the sprinklers in. We're moving into a situation that already jumped through the hoops to be all cleared by the town to have a service in there. But they were there when all the hoops had to be jumped through. And so they're in the parking lot, they're inside, they're outside, they're across town, meeting somewhere else for a few months before they were able to come back inside. He said, over the last two years, there's a hundred things that the people of this church could have complained about. But I think one of the secrets to this church growing like wildfire in the last two years is, in the two years that I've been here, I haven't heard a single complaint. The church just rolled with it. And he said they were so positive... The church grew like wildfire. It really got me thinking. A hundred things they could have complained about, but they didn't. They just kept worshiping Jesus and loving each other and inviting their friends to church, and the church grew by leaps and bounds. Church, do you agree that it's important to be positive as, as we do Christ's work? It's so important. We have to be positive. So here's what I'd like us to do. I'd like us to just clear the air. I'm going to take us through the top five complaints that someone is bound to have at our new building. And we're not going to sweep them under the rug. We're just going to put them on the table today and and clear the air. Amen? Amen. Sound like a plan? Because who wants to come to church on Easter and hear a bunch of griping and complaining? None of us do, right? So we're just going to get it out of the way today. So here are the top five complaints that someone is bound to have, and we'll just tackle them one by one. Here we go. Complaint number one. It's a longer drive. No God's people went. Wah, wah, wah. No. I don't mean to be callous to those of you who are driving a little further. Here's the situation. We made sure it's a ten minute drive on a Sunday morning from this building. Right? How many of you actually live on George Boulevard? Okay? Unless you live with a shelter next door. Okay, which some of our attenders do. Maximum of a 10 minute add to your drive time, and we're making sure we're getting transportation squared away for those that do live at the shelter. If you don't live on George Boulevard, if it adds any length to your drive, in all likelihood it's just a few minutes. For many of our attenders, it's the same distance as it is to drive here. For others, it's a little bit closer. But it doesn't add a thanks, Peggy, it doesn't add a ton of time. To your drive. So can we drive a few extra minutes to make it to a really good church that we know will have a better chance of reaching more of our friends and neighbors? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's a nice little drive out there, too. Complaint number two. The worship center is small. I miss my aisle seat and my elbow room. (laughs) Okay, I want you to look around the room here. You may not have ever counted aisles, but we have four aisles in this room. In the new place... We've got one. Some of you are going to walk into that building for the first time this afternoon if you're helping us bring our stuff over after the service. Others of you will walk in for the first time next week, and you'll look at the worship service room, the worship center, and you're going to say, this is like half the size of our sanctuary at George Boulevard, and I want you to know that is not true. It is not half the size of this room right here. It's more like a quarter of the size. <laughs> so if you look at the sign at the back of this room, it says maximum occupancy 500, okay? Right now, we've got like 175 chairs. We purposely spread them out to make it look more full than it really is. But we can put 500 in here if we really wanted to. That place maxes out around 125. So why are we going to a place that's so much smaller? Because we're not going for our own personal comfort. We're going to reach the loss. So here's the thing. There's one aisle. When you come into the room here, if you roll in 15, 20 minutes late, no one knows because you're coming in the back. Guess where the entrance door is in the new place? Right here. It's right here. It's just to the right side of the stage in the front of the room. So if you decide to hit your snooze button three more times on a Sunday morning and come to church 20 minutes late, guess who sees you walk in the room late? Hey, everybody. You're walking in and up the aisle where everybody can wave and say. So we're going to need a little discipline here, folks. If you've gotten a little lazy and hitting your snooze button a few too many times on Sunday, you need to be at church on time or ideally a few minutes early. Because not only does everyone see you when you come in late, it's going to be disruptive to those that are worshiping. It's going to take an adjustment. I know some of you love your aisle seat. Not too many aisle seats when you have one aisle, because the chairs are literally against the walls. One aisle. So you're going to have to surrender your aisle seat. You come in, you kind of have to file in so you don't have 10 people crawling over your lap, right? Some of you ladies like to put your purse on the nice empty chair next to you. We don't plan on having that chair empty for very long, do we? Because we're inviting our neighbors and filling that chair. Guys, you like to put your Bible out, stretch your arms on the chair next to you. Nice elbow room. No elbow room. Now, we're working out some things next week. In the back of the room, we'll have a little bit of overflow with a little bit more elbow room. We even have an overflow room similar to what we have in the fellowship hall here. There won't be a clean line of sight to the stage, but we're working on it to have that 80-inch monitor in there having a live feed. So those of you that say, you know what, I just need a little bit more space, we're working on that option as well. But for the most part, there's not going to be empty chairs next to you. We're going to have to make some adjustments. And once again, we're doing this because it's not about our comfort. It's about reaching the lost. Amen. Complaint number three, there's not enough parking. Now, there's some truth to all the others. Uh, This one, not so much. The actual parking lot on the property is not big, but the businesses adjoining it, they don't have anything going on Sundays, So if you park next door, it's fine. The side street, Siskiyou, is all white. You can park on the side street if you want. If you're parked on the side street or parked next door in the adjoining business and you walk into the building, it's still a shorter walk than it is for many of us parking in this parking lot and walking all the way through into the sanctuary here. And so it's in close proximity to the other buildings, the side street, all that, so there is going to be plenty of parking. Complaint number four, everybody can see when I arrive late. Ah, shoot, I already talked about that one. We're going to have to move on, huh? Complaint number five. There are so many sinners in this place. Oh, I sure hope so. I sure hope so. That's why we're going. To seek and save the lost. May I never become so complacent or so arrogant that I forget I am one of those sinners in this place. You are one of the sinners in this place. All of us are sinners saved by grace. And we're sharing that grace with everyone else who needs it too. I don't know about you, but I, I feel good that we were able to clear the air. So let's all get these off our chest and get them out of the way today. Say it with me. Complaint number one, it's a longer drive. Here we go. One, two, three. It's a longer drive. Ah, we got that off our chest. Complaint number two, the worship center is small. Here we go. One, two, three. The worship center is small. Doesn't that feel good? We already got it out in the air. Complaint number three, there's not enough parking. One, two, three. There's not enough parking. Number four, everybody can see me when I arrive late. Here we go. One, two, three. Everybody can see me when I arrive late. And number five, there are so many sinners in this place. One, two, three, there are so many sinners in this place. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. Now, I want you to hear me loud and clear on this. George Boulevard has been a huge blessing to our church. For most of the last 29 years, we've been in this building. And especially during COVID over the last three years, this allowed us to spread out the chairs in a room that was never more than about 25% capacity. That was a blessing during COVID. We had the lawn we could meet on for the first six months or so of COVID. We were able to come in this room. We're thankful for the school for giving us so much flexibility to be here. We are deeply grateful that the Lord has allowed us to be here. But it is time to go. And it's time to go and reach more people for Christ. And so if we shed those tears, I hope we're not shedding tears primarily because we miss this building. I hope we're shedding tears because we truly do love our community and we want to lead our community to Christ.